Okay, um, it's my pleasure to open the final session of today's talks. Our first presenter will be Steve Kirkland from the Hamilton Institute, and he'll be talking about load balancing for Mycroft chains. Thanks, Juanita. Uh, it's a pleasure for me here to be here. Uh, I've been fascinated by the theory of non-negative matrices ever since I was an undergraduate student uh, when I was introduced them, to them, and so it's a pleasure for me to be here at a conference for... Avi, I can't believe I'm the only one who came up with a nickname for it. It's a celebration of all things Burman, therefore Burmania. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about uh, Markov chains. Uh, and uh, I think my, my introduction will be pretty elementary uh, through a lot of the talk. I'll say a lot of things that you already know. And so maybe what I'll ask you to do is just sort of focus on not necessarily what I'm saying, but rather the way that I am saying them, because that's, that's kind of the, the, uh, the viewpoint that will inform the rest of the talk. So I'll be thinking about uh, uh, square matrix T. Uh, and uh, uh, we say it's stochastic, that has the property that all of its entries are uh, non-negative. And then I have the extra condition that uh, I'm asking for the row sums of the matrix T to be all equal to 1, and I denote that by saying T times the all ones vector is, again, the all ones vector. That bolded 1 is my, my notation for the vector of all ones. Um, and uh, we're interested in these stochastic matrices for lots of reasons, but in particular, they're at the centerpiece for the theory of uh, discrete time, time homogeneous Markov chains on a finite state space. Um, and so uh, I'll, I'll go through a sort of crash course on, on what I mean by uh, most of the words in that, that second sentence there. Um, so really what I'm thinking of uh, is a, a, a collection of states I'll label those states with the numbers from 1 to n. And then you can do the following sort of thought experiment where I've got a particle that jumps from one state to another. Uh, and uh, it, it moves according to a certain uh, uh, collection of rules. So, um, so I'm supposing that there's a fixed probability. So given indices i and j, I'm supposing there's a fixed probability t sub ij that the particle makes a jump from state i to state j in uh, one step. Uh, and then I'll keep track of what's happening uh, with the process with a collection, with a sequence of row vectors, uh, x0, x1, x2, and so on. Uh, and so in, inside that row vector xk, uh, let's see, the lth entry is the probability that the particle is in state L at time k. Okay. And so uh, I'll build uh, what's called the transition matrix uh, for the Markov chain out of that by just building the square matrix, capital T, whose entry in row I column J is that probability, Tij, of making a transition from state I to state J. Okay? So uh, if, you, if, you, uh, if you think about uh, what I've said in that first paragraph there, you can sort of capture what's going on with this Markov chain uh, in uh, matrix vector notation by saying that for each natural number k, if I want to know what's happening with the vector xk transpose, well, I just take the, the preceding iterate, xk minus 1 transpose, post-multiply it by my stochastic matrix T. Uh, and uh, if, I, if I just sort of iterate that, what I've got is that xk is really the kth, kth power of T uh, uh, multiplied uh, from the right onto the initial vector x naught. 
Okay. Uh, and so uh, for, for those of you who love matrices like I do, uh, one of the things you would look, you'd look at that last equation and from a matrix theoretics uh, perspective, you say, well, this is just a realization of the power method being applied with this, uh, with this matrix T. Okay. So uh, associated with my transition matrix, we have a, a directed graph. We've seen it several times uh, today. It was in Shmuel's talk and in Rafi's talk. A couple of other places, directed graphs have come up. And uh, that's another piece I want to bring into it. So I'll call it, uh, so I've got my transition matrix T. I'll call the directed graph D of T. And uh, it's, it just keeps track of which entries inside the matrix are positive and which ones are zero. Uh, so the vertices of the graph are labeled for, with the numbers from 1 to n, and I make an arc from, a directed arc from vertex i to vertex j in the digraph, exactly in the case that the corresponding uh, entry of t in row i column j is a positive number. Okay. And so this digraph is capturing qualitative information about what's happening, uh, uh, because it's, it's telling me uh, which transitions are possible in my Markov chain in one step, okay? It doesn't tell me the probabilities with which those transitions are possible. It just tells me what's possible and what's not, okay? Uh, so uh, we've, we've had this definition already uh, uh, today, uh, the notion of irreducibility. So stochastic matrix is irreducible if it has the property that for any pair of uh, indices i and j, there's a, a natural number k so that the ijth entry of the kth power of t is positive. Okay, so that's the way I say it in matrix terms. I'll say it in digraph terms. Uh, equivalently, uh, for any pair of indices i and j, there's a collection of intermediate indices, intermediate vertices in the digraph, so that I can have uh, what's, uh, what's really a walk in the digraph, a sequence of arcs traveling from one to the other that starts at i, ends at j, and has length k, okay? k, the, k the, the, the length of the walk is the number of arcs that it uses uh, to get from one place to the other, okay? Uh, if it happens that uh, all of the intermediate vertices i1 through ik minus 1 and i are all pairwise distinct, then that walk, uh, that walk is called a path. I don't have that, that up there. And if i and j are equal to each other, it's a, uh, uh, it's a cycle. Okay, so that's just a little graph theoretic terminology. Um, and and uh, uh, similarly, there's a notion of primitivity. The stochastic matrix is primitive uh, if it has the property that uh, there's some, uh, some power of my stochastic matrix has all positive entries. Okay, here's another way of saying the same thing in combinatorial terms. Uh, uh, it's, uh, 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 the, our matrix is primitive if there's a natural number k so that for any pair of vertices i and j in the digraph, there's a walk from vertex i to vertex j of length exactly equal to k. And it turns out that you can characterize uh, primitivity in terms of the lengths of the cycles in the directed graph. The, I mean, I'll just tell you the theorem. Uh, 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 if, I've, if I've got uh, uh, a, matrix, a stochastic matrix T and I look at its digraph, provided it, that it, uh, the digraph is strongly connected and that the greatest common divisor of all the lengths of the cycles in the digraph is equal to one, then I've got uh, a primitive matrix. 
And uh, so I'm trying to focus on the interplay between the matrix and the directed graph and to uh, further either emphasize their similarity or to confuse you, I will use the same terms for the digraph and the matrix more or less interchangeably. So I'll, think, I'll talk about an irreducible uh, digraph or a primitive digraph. Okay. So um, we've also met the Perron Fermedius theorem uh, a number of times today. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you sort of some of the highlights as they apply to stochastic matrices, at least. So uh, the Perron Fermedius theorem tells me all kinds of good information about the eigenvalues of an entrywise non-negative square matrix. So if I've got a stochastic matrix T and it's irreducible, then there's a unique positive vector uh, pi that serves, well, essentially as a left eigenvector for the matrix T corresponding to the eigenvalue 1. And if I normalize that pi so that its entries sum to 1, then, uh, then uh, I'll refer to that as the stationary distribution vector for the Markov chain. Okay? Um, also from the Perron Frobenius theory, we learn that uh, for each eigenvalue lambda of T, the complex modulus is at most 1. And if, in addition, the matrix T is primitive, then for any uh, uh, eigenvalue lambda that's different from 1, then, in fact, its complex modulus is strictly less than 1. Okay. So, uh, so if you put that bit of information together about the, uh, uh, about the eigenvalues of primitive uh, stochastic matrices, along with our earlier understanding of a Markov chain as being a realization of the, uh, the power method, it's pretty easy to see that if the stochastic matrix T is primitive, then as K goes to infinity, the sequence of iterates in the Markov chain converges to the stationary distribution independently of what the initial distribution vector was. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I mean, so this is sort of like the state of the art about 100 years ago. Okay, I haven't said anything new here. What I'm trying to, to uh, lead you to is my own personal obsession with this kind of thing, which is, it's always fascinated me, that uh, it, what I've put into this theorem is a combinatorial hypothesis on the digraph. Okay, that's the way I'd like to think of it, namely that the matrix T is irreducible, or in section 3 over there, that it's primitive. I put in this combinatorial uh, uh, hypothesis, and amazingly, what comes out is algebraic information about the eigenvalues of the matrix T. That, that, that uh, caught my attention when I, when I looked at that uh, result 25 years ago for the first time, and it still captures my attention. Okay. So... Um, so I'll, I'll uh, uh, having sort of laid down some, some basics here, I'm going to try and creep gradually towards forming a, a concrete question. Uh, and it'll take my, my apology. I'm going to take, it'll take me a while to sort of circle around uh, before I land on the point properly. So, so in some of the applications, so I should say, Markov chains rise all over the place in applications. Um, and in some of the settings that, we, uh, that, are, that are interesting, like in mathematical ecology or vehicle traffic modeling, as a couple of examples, um, the digraph is fixed. In other, words, uh, in other words, we've got a Markov chain, and there's some physical constraints that actually dictate uh, uh, the directed graph of my stochastic matrix T. Okay? So it's specified by the application. And so... What I want to do here is we've already seen how, how information from the directed graph is already giving, giving uh, information about the algebraic properties of the stochastic matrix. And I, I, basically, my general question is, how can we get more? How can we get information that's in the digraph 
uh, that's qualitative information, to get quantitative information out of the Markov chain that's interesting for us. And so specifically, what can we say about the entries in the stationary distribution vector pi that's based on the qualitative information living inside the directed graph? So that's the sort of broad, broad question I want to uh, uh, try and tackle here. Uh, and uh, as, I, as I say in the title of the slide, it's not particularly precisely formed. Um, so so let, let's do something easy, and maybe I'll, I'll just try and introduce uh, uh, some notation while I'm at it. So here's the way I want to think about things. So somebody's handed me uh, an irreducible directed graph, and I'll call that delta. Okay? Uh, it's pre-specified, and now I want to think about the set of stochastic matrices, transition matrices, whose, uh, and I'll call it sigma delta, whose, whose digraph lives inside of the given uh, uh, pre-specified directed graph delta. So what I mean by lives inside, I mean it has the same, the, the, the directed graph of T has the same number of vertices that delta does, and every time there's an arc in the directed graph of T, there has to be already an arc in my uh, beginning, my, my given digraph delta, okay? So a way to think of it is the, the digraph of T can be formed from delta possibly by deleting some of the arcs, but you have to keep the same number of vertices. All right. Uh, and so, uh, so, okay, so there's some notation. I have a slightly le le less vague uh, 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 question to pose here. If I have an irreducible matrix inside of that set sigma delta, how are these entries in the stationary distribution constrained by delta? Okay, so here's, here's an easy one. Uh, so let's just fix a particular index i, okay, between 1 and n. And now I'm going to look at, the, look at the digraph and I'll say, let's take g sub i to be the length of the shortest cycle in uh, the digraph that passes through vertex i. Okay? So uh, it's pretty, it's, 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 uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the proof in a second. It's not so bad to show that the, the ith entry in the stationary distribution vector, pi sub i, whatever it is, has to be bounded above by the reciprocal of g sub i, the length of the shortest cycle that goes through i. Uh, and the upper bound's attainable in the sense that you can construct uh, stochastic matrices T for which equality holds. So, um, so I'll just walk you through the proof a little bit, uh, and then uh, and we'll sort of see how, how some of the combinatorial matrix theory comes into play here. So, uh, okay, so no points if GI is equal to 1, okay? Remember, the stationary distribution was normalized so that it was non-negative and sum to 1, so certainly it's less than or equal to 1. So we might as well take to G sub I to be at least 2. Uh, and to make things concrete, let's just focus on the last index. So I'll take I equals to N, and I'll just look at my stochastic matrix, and I'll cut out the last row and column of the matrix T there. Uh, and come up with uh, that presentation uh, of, uh, of what's going on there. And uh, I'll use the, whoops, LaTeX error there, sorry about that. In your heads, just put a backslash in front of the pi here. Uh, I'm just using the Eigen equation and the fact that the entries sum to one to show that uh, uh, you can just solve for, for the last entry in the stationary distribution as one over one plus R transpose times the inverse of I minus S uh, applied to the all ones vector. And so the idea is what I want to do is, is kind of get at some information about the, uh, the inverse of I minus S and its row sums. So, uh, so 
because of the irreducibility, it turns out that uh, I minus S is going to be invertible. That's because S is a, is a principal submatrix of an irreducible stochastic matrix. And I can write it as a power series. The inverse is a power series uh, 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 sum from k equals 0 to infinity of s to the k times the ones vector. And now I'm just going to look at uh, the, ith entry, so the ith entry in the vector of row sums of s to the k. So it's pretty easy exercise in combinatorial matrix theory to decide that that number is equal to 1 if and only if the shortest path in the diagraph from vertex i to vertex n has length greater than k. Okay? So, uh, so now we just sort of add these things up. Remember that the, the, uh, the row, uh, the, if I'm looking at this vector r here, that's positive only if there's already an arc from n to i in the diagraph of t. And so what we find out, so what am I looking at here? This guy is capturing information about uh, row sums uh, with a property that n goes out to i. And here I'm in, I get a, a value of 1 at least for each i um, at distance gi minus 1 or, uh, or more uh, from vertex n. And the inequality follows. Okay, So that's, that's kind of how you do it. Um, a probabilist would probably look at the original inequality and see it, see it in one line. Okay, It's a standard result that the entries in the stationary distribution are the reciprocals of the first return times to the state. Well, if the length of the shortest cycle is, is gi, the first time you could get back would be uh, uh, it, in, it, at most, sorry, uh, the first time you could get back possibly would be uh, at least gi. So that's another way of seeing the same thing. Okay, so that's a little result. Uh, uh, I think it's probably too easy. And so again, I'm going to declare no points for that one either. And at least part of my beef with, with the result is that it doesn't really take into account what's going on with the rest of the stationary distribution. Okay, so I fixed my vertex i. I wanted to know what was happening with pi sub i. But I didn't think about where pi sub i sat in relation to the other entries in the stationary distribution. Was that the biggest entry? Was it the smallest entry? Was it somewhere in the middle? And so, so what I would like to do is try and work that aspect into it. Uh, and uh, uh, for better or worse, uh, I've been hanging around with a lot of engineers here at the Hamilton Institute. And they say phrases like load balancing as though it's, as though it's a good thing. So why not me? I want to think about load balancing for Markov chains. In the following sense, it might be interesting for you to, uh, to try and construct a stochastic matrix that's, that's being governed by a particular directed graph where, in some sense, the entries in the stationary distribution vector are sort of evenly, as evenly matched as they could possibly be. Okay? That's, that's what you might think of as load balancing. And so what I'll do is uh, I'll sort of firm up uh, the question more concretely now. I'll fix my directed graph delta on n vertices. And for each, uh, each irreducible matrix T inside that set sigma delta, that's all the, all the stochastic matrices that, have that, uh, uh, that are governed by that digraph delta. And I'll let pi of T denote the stationary distribution vector for that particular irreducible T. I fix a, want to fix an index, I. And I want to think about the subclass of irreducible matrices so that when I look at the stationary distribution, the ith entry is the biggest one. Okay? 
So I'm, lo I'm looking at that class of, uh, of matrices, and now I want to minimize that largest entry subject to two constraints. One, I'm, I'm respecting the, the combinatorial uh, constraint that comes from delta, and two, I'm insisting that the biggest entry comes in the ith position. Okay, so that's the, that's the, the challenge that I've set for myself. Now, the technical problem here, that the matrices that I'm looking at, at, the subclass of matrices, is not going to be closed necessarily. Okay, if I, take a, uh, if I take a bunch of irreducible stochastic matrices and try to take a limit, it may or may not be irreducible when I come to the end of it. And so there is a, 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 a technical problem there. And so the minimum, in quotation marks, that I'm really looking for may not exist. Okay? So, um, so I'm going to have to sort of uh, uh, get around that problem a little bit. Um, I've been in Ireland about two years now, a little bit more than two years. I don't know very much about Irish culture, but I have learned one thing, that when you're faced with a difficult challenge, one of the things you can do is just relax. Okay, it'll be grand. Um, and so what I'm going to do is literally relax the challenge. I'm going to relax the constraints uh, uh, on the problem here to, to try and get myself some kind of solution. So, I, so I, I, I'm going to rephrase things a little bit. It's the same kind of idea. I'll fix my index i. I still want to find the minimum value of the ith entry in the stationary, or the ith entry in this vector pi subject to some constraints. Okay, I want pi to be uh, 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 a left eigenvector corresponding to the eigenvalue 1 for some stochastic matrix T inside my good set that's governed by delta. I want the entries in uh, that vector pi to sum to 1. And I want pi sub i to be the maximum of all of the entries in that vector. Okay, so, so what, I've what I've lost here, or what I've relaxed on, is I'm no longer insisting that our matrix T is irreducible anymore. So, this, so, so, uh, so I, I'll give up on that. If I give up on that, I get the closure uh, uh, of the set of stochastic matrices that I was looking for. And so, in, in analytic terms at least, uh, the analysis will go through a little bit more easily. Okay, so I'm going to rewrite the problem uh, uh, a little bit. I, I, I'm going to go away from the matrix notation and rewrite it in a slightly different uh, fashion. I'm going to minimize the number of pi sub i subject to uh, the constraint that it's bigger than all of these other pi j's, that the sum of all of the pi j's is equal to 1, uh, that uh, I've got these numbers t, k, j that are non-negative uh, uh, whenever, uh, sorry, only when uh, there's an arc in delta from uh, vertex k to uh, vertex j. I've got a very complicated summation here, which is just basically saying that the sum of the non-zero entries in, uh, in a particular row of that uh, collection of t's is equal to 1. And in addition, that uh, the positions where those entries are non-zero respects the diagraph. And one more complicated condition, which is essentially rewriting uh, uh, the, uh, the equation pi transpose t equals pi transpose, but I'm rewriting it in summation terms, and I'm explicitly bringing in the digraph here, summing over just uh, places in delta where there's, a, where there's an arc. Okay, that's actually, an, to, to my way of thinking, that's an overly complicated way of rephrasing the problem. Um, 
But uh, what it does for us is it rephrases the entire thing as a nonlinear programming problem. So the idea is I now think of the, uh, the pi's and the tkj's. Those are a whole bunch of uh, variables, okay? I'm minimizing a particular function subject to a big pile of constraints, okay? So, uh, uh, and the, uh, the, the advantage of doing it that way is that there's, there's some technique available for dealing with this kind of problem. Okay, so uh, let's see. I like suspense movies and I like suspense novels, but I don't like suspense mathematics, so I'm gonna tell you the answer first and then we'll talk, uh, 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 talk about how, how the, uh, the proof goes more or less. Um, so I'm gonna fix the digraph delta and I'm gonna fix my index i between one and n. Uh, so here's a bit of notation. I'll let c sub i be the collection of all the unions of vertex disjoint cycles in the digraph delta uh, that, that uh, involve vertex i, okay? So it's a collection of cycles. Uh, vertex i is one on, on one of those cycles, but uh, the cycles don't meet in any, uh, in any vertices. And I should say, the cycles don't necessarily exhaust the entire digraph, okay? So that's, that's what this c sub i is. And then if I've got one of these unions of cycles, uh, vertex disjoint cycles inside of CI, and I call it U, then uh, the uh, uh, cardinality of U is just going to denote the number of vertices inside of, uh, uh, inside of that union of cycles. And here's the theorem. So I look, over, uh, I look over all of those unions of vertex disjoint cycles that go through vertex I. I take the maximum cardinality uh, uh, and I call that P, then the minimization problem that I was trying to solve there, the minimum value of pi i subject to all of those constraints, including the digraph constraint and uh, the, the constraint that pi sub i is the maximum entry in that vector, is just given by the number 1 over P. Okay, so, uh, so that's, the, that's the answer. And then I'll try and talk a little bit about, about what, the, what the techniques are for, uh, for generating the answer to that question. Okay. So uh, the reason I, I went to formulating the whole thing as a nonlinear programming problem is that there's, there's good technique. The Kuhn-Tucker conditions, necessary conditions, apply here. Uh, so mm, it's been a long time since I, I thought about this stuff, maybe a long time since you did. So, so here's what you do. It's like a Lagrange multipliers type problem. Okay, I've got an objective function, happens to be this pi sub i, and then I've got all of these constraints, which I wrote out as the equations. Uh, and uh, essentially, the Kuhn-Tucker conditions tell you that if you're at a minimum for your objective function, then you can write the gradient a vector for the objective function as a linear combination of the gradients for the, um, for the constraint functions and a bunch of Lagrange multipliers. Okay, so, so what, I, what I do then is when I, when I apply the Kuhn-Tucker conditions, I get a big uh, equation that writes, uh, that re helps relate uh, at, at the minimizing, uh, uh, the minimizing choice of pi and t helps relate the entries in uh, the vector pi, the entries in the matrix t, and then a bunch of these Lagrange multipliers which, which, which the conditions don't tell me about. Okay, and so, 
here's what you can do. You analyze the, the, the conditions that come up, the Kuhn-Tucker conditions, and it turns out that when you look at the combinatorial constr constraints that come up, you get good information about the digraph of, uh, of a minimizing T. Turns out that if I had a T that gave me the minimum value I was looking for, and I looked in the digraph, imagine I had a vertex uh, I that had arcs out to both uh, vertices J1 and J2, then it turns out when you analyze the conditions, the corresponding Lagrange multipliers for the entry TIJ1 and the entry TIJ2, those have to be equal, all right? And that's good news because what that means is you can sort of shift the weight uh, in your minimizing uh, 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 good matrix T. You can shift the matrix from one entry onto another entry. In other words, you can take a little bit off of TIJ2 and add it on to TIJ1 and, uh, and things are good for you. And what that means is, you keep doing that, you can get yourself down to a 0-1 transition matrix T, okay? That, uh, that, also, uh, that also does the job. It also uh, satisfies the property that your minimizing pi has pi transpose t equals pi transpose. All right, so you work that out. And so now all we're doing is we're looking at a sort of a fixed vector, a left fixed vector for a zero one matrix, okay? That's something that's a completely combinatorial uh, object. For a zero one transition matrix, the digraph is just a union of vertex disjoint cycles, no surprises because we already know the answer, and maybe some paths that lead into those, uh, those disjoint cycles. Uh, if I look at the nature of uh, a, a, a left fixed vector for, uh, for one of those zero one matrices, it's really easy to find out that uh, if I look at the, uh, the pi j's, for j's that sit on a common cycle in the digraph, the corresponding values of pi along uh, those vertices, they're all equal. Uh, if, if my index j happens, or if my vertex j is not on a cycle, then the corresponding value in pi must be zero, and now you just look at the smallest possible value you could get out of that, and it turns out to be this number one over p. So the idea is the Kuhn-Tucker conditions some, a little bit of luck with the combinatorics and the Lagrange multipliers, a tiny bit of analysis for fixed vectors for zero one matrices and you're home free. Okay, so that's, that's sort of, um, that's kind of the way the proof goes. Um, all right, so that's the good news. Uh, here's the not so, not so good news. My original problem, I didn't quite phrase it this way, but I was really looking for an infimum, okay? I was looking for the infimum of the pi i's so that pi is the stationary distribution for some irreducible matrix T uh, that respects the digraph, and I wanted pi i to be the maximum entry. And as I mentioned earlier, when I went to the relaxation of the problem, we lost the irreducibility. Okay, so that's, that's actually kind of unsatisfactory for, for me. Um, there's a little bit of good news. The, 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 the lower bound of one over p is tight. Uh, for irreducible matrices in, in the following sense. In the following sense. For each uh, positive number epsilon, I can find an irreducible T, stochastic, inside my good class of matrices that respects the digraph, whose stationary ve vector pi uh, uh, has the property that the ith entry is the maximum entry in pi, and uh, the pi i is less than 1 over p plus epsilon, okay? So in t uh, the, in, uh, it's a long way of saying that the infimum for the problem I'm looking at is actually equal to 1 over p. 
The proof here uh, is you kind of do what you think one might do. You find one of these zero one matrices that's got the good uh, union of vertex disjoint cycles that goes through vertex i where the cardinality is, uh, is p. And then you try and approach that by a, a, a particular sequence of irreducible stochastic matrices and you get continuity uh, of the stationary distribution. You use continuity of the stationary distribution vector. I thought it would, was going to be a snap to, to just produce the sequence of matrices that does the job. It requires a little bit more uh, technical uh, working through the details than I had originally anticipated, but, but you can do it. Um, so, uh, so that's... That's uh, uh, at least for irreducibility or irreducible matrices that respect the digraph, you can't do any better than this uh, this uh, lower bound of one over p. That's not really what I wanted to do. Okay, I, what I really wanted to do was kind of, I, I mean I'm really looking at the the irreducible uh, case. That's the one that's sort of of central interest, um, and. It seems to be quite difficult, uh, at least for me, to find irreducible matrices uh, so that, uh, so that they, they, they do the job. They actually attain the minimum uh, and that the stationary distribution vector is, is this one over P. And the reason I'm not, I'm, I'm I'm not going to make any slight against Kuhn and Tucker. They've done good, good work for me for years. Uh, they're necessary conditions. They're not sufficient. Okay, that's the that's the kind of hitch there, and so uh, so that's that's sort of why uh, uh, the the uh, problem of trying to get at irreducible matrices that attain this uh, this uh, infimum is difficult. It is possible to construct them, uh, and so I'll just give you a little example here. Uh, so there's a directed graph on six vertices. Uh, let's see, if you're tired of listening to me and you like combinatorics, you can probably convince yourself fairly quickly that uh, the biggest collection of vertex disjoint uh, unions of cycles we could come up would have five vertices, right? So I could take the, I could take the, the three cycle on vertices one, two, and three, and uh, uh, the, uh, the two cycle on, on four and five. That would, uh, that would certainly give me a, a, a pair of this vertex disjoint cycles um, of cardinality five, but in fact, there's no way I could get one uh, of uh, cardinality six out of this digraph, okay? Uh, so what I'm saying here is the magic value of P here is five in this example. Um, and then it's pretty easy to see that if I take a value of S between zero and one, and I just build that matrix there, so it's a, it's a one parameter family of stochastic matrices, uh, it respects the digraph. Um, and I can work up the stationary distribution vector, uh, looks like that. Um, and so lo and behold, notice that, let's see, entries uh, 1, 3, 4, and 6 all take on a value of 1 over 5 uh, for that guy. So those are, at, oh, and they're maximum. That was the other part of it. So, so each of these guys here is maximum amongst the entries in the stationary distribution vector and it attains the minimum possible value for that maximum, 1 over uh, 5 in this instance. So it's certainly possible to construct them, you know, sort of uh, in an ad hoc ways, particularly if the directed graph is sparse. Uh, but uh, I at least have had a difficult time in trying to come up with some sort of uh, general theory about uh, characterizing digraphs, which even characterizing digraphs that admit uh, the minimum value for an irreducible uh, matrix T seems to be uh, pretty tricky. So, um, so 
my, my key messages here, I guess, uh, are one is, one is pretty um, philosophical, the, just the general idea that there's good information available in the combinatorics here if we're thinking about stochastic matrices. And in particular, uh, uh, there's good information about the stationary distribution uh, that you can kind of dig out of the directed graph if you want to that the techniques, that sort of fusion of, of uh, techniques from combinatorics and techniques from matrix theory uh, uh, can be good tools for digging out that information. And then uh, uh, I think more work is, is uh, needed to construct or classify the irreducible transition matrices that attain our lower bound on the maximum entry. Thanks for your attention. Just one stupid remark. Sami Genius called it Kuhn Tucker Couch. Kuhn Tucker Couch. Ah, Graphs which don't attain the lower bound. Uh, I mean, I, I could probably sit one and sit down and rig one up for you. Um, but uh, yeah, even even that would be an interesting thing. If you if you could characterize the digraphs for which the the lower bound is not attainable by any irreducible, that would be an interesting thing. Sure, definitely. Yeah, um, I mean, basically, what hap happens, what seems to happen is, at least when uh, I, I mean, they're they're similar to the one that I gave on the board in the sense that they're one parameter, right? And the idea is, in order to in order to attain the lower bound, you have to let something go to zero or one, and then what happens is you lose an arc out of the digraph when you do that, and then you've lost the irreducibility. That's kind of way the 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 way these examples sort of fall apart is is like that. Yeah. So the, you're referring to this as a combinatorial condition, as a probabilist, I would regard it as being a uniformity condition, really. And that's why you're losing the irreducibility when you look at the minimum, like, as you say, the leading arms that aren't there. The fact that everything is finite means that when you give you the finite k, it means that there's a minimum probability across all of the paths for a turn. And that's kind of what you're throwing out when you go to this generalization. I was wondering, you know, that's implicitly what's in there for you. So I'm wondering why you're calling it a combinatorial condition rather than something to do with the uniformity of probabilities. I think it, it's it's very much informed my, by by my perspective on the world, right? I got the two lenses, the matrix theory and the graph theory, and I see them that way. So, but uh, but I, I think you raise a good point that um, you know it's entirely possible that that some of the technical stuff that is is hurting me on the irreducible case, for example. I mean, maybe by by taking a different perspective on it. Well, I guess I'm particularly wondering what would happen if you try and generalize it to a continuous state space. Right. And, and there, you know, you end up with a measure rather than, you know, the uniformity conditions are much trickier. Right. But, but there are techniques on the probabilistic side to work with them. Yeah. You know, there needs to be a lot more care, take a lot more care if you put the graph. Right. Right. Yeah. No, but I mean, I very much approach, approached it from a, as a combinatorial matrix theory problem, obviously, from what I said. Um, and uh, yeah, you're right. A probabilistic approach could, could really bring new light That's to it. That's very interesting because you, yeah, I haven't seen a classification there either where you find an irreducible matrix. Right. Any other questions? Okay, thanks so much, Steve. Okay.